Hey friends, this is Ashley coming to you before this episode starts. I just wanted to let you all know that I have a newsletter. It's also called Boss Barista and you can find all of our episodes along with full transcripts and articles about each episode at the newsletter. So go to bossbarista.substack.com and all of this stuff will just end up in your email. It's kind of like magic. So again, bossbarista.substack.com to find all of these episodes along with additional content. Thanks for listening and on to the show. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. There's too much good stuff in this episode to not jump right in. Today, I'm sharing an interview with Julian Langevin, a production worker for Coffee by Design and the 2022 United States Cup Tasters champion. That arrangement of words might be unfamiliar to you. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you've heard us talk about barista competitors. We've even had a few of them on the show. But there are a handful of coffee-related events designed to test and celebrate pretty much every aspect about how coffee gets to your cup. Along with the barista competition, there's a brewing, roasting, latte art, coffee cocktail, and tasting competition that all happen annually in conjunction with one another. The Cup Tasters competition asks competitors to taste sets of three cups of coffee. Two are the same and one is different, and the competitor is supposed to be able to identify which one is different. This is an extremely challenging task. Competitors are also timed and performing in front of a screaming crowd cheering them on, so Julian's accomplishment is no small feat. But when you win a competition like this, there's this idea that you have to capitalize on it, like you have to take this moment to make an upward change in your life. But as we explore in this episode, linear career trajectories often fail workers, particularly those of marginalized identities. To compete in the National Cup Tasters competition, Julian had to qualify at a regional event, which took place before COVID, and it was unclear if Julian would ever get to compete on a national stage. During that time, as he was waiting to hear about the fate of the competition, Julian actually left coffee because they were forced to step behind the bar again and work as a barista, a job that they didn't want to do and didn't line up with their interests or personal needs of safety at work. Julian's interview will make you question why we often fall into very typical, very linear modes of upward mobility and how we view the dignity of work. For example, most people in coffee start off as baristas, but there's really no reason for that. Now, as a national champion, Julian's facing the other side of that coin. There's expectations that he'll try to move on and do something big, but as you'll hear in this interview, he's quite content to learn and grow in his current position. As Julian says later in the interview, there is a place for everyone in coffee who wants to be here. And this requires thinking critically about how we view work, what upward mobility actually means, and how we can find space for everyone in any industry to express their skills and be happy at work. Here's Julian. Julian, I was wondering if you could start by introducing yourself. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show, Ashley. My name is Julian Langevin. I am a 
production worker and roaster, and I live in Portland, Maine. <laughs> I like that you you giggled at yourself a little bit there. <laughs> it's just funny because we've been talking for like the last 20 minutes before we even started recording, and then like the minute recording starts, it's like a totally different game. But I feel like I, I don't yeah. help it because like I put on like my podcasting voice and it just feels different. So I apologize for, oh, for setting that scene in a in a funny way. But here we are. Yeah, I also I always feel like weird, like introducing myself. I'm like, I'm like, how much information should I give right now? Because they're going to know a lot by the end of this. So how much do I really need to say right now? But right. I, I guess just name, job description, location, probably. Yeah, I do a fair amount of freelance writing. And at this point, I feel like the longer I've been writing, the shorter my bio has gotten to like a point mm-hmm. I'm sure like at one point it's gonna be like Ashley is a person who wrote this article and that's it like that's all I'm gonna yeah. have on there that would be that would be such like a power move like you're just like yep this is just me and I just wrote this yeah so, you yeah, don't need whatever. to know anything else about me <laughs> yep <laughs> did you grow up with coffee in your life I did my dad actually just quit drinking coffee but I grew up drinking coffee or like I didn't grow up drinking coffee but I grew up watching him drink coffee and he was in the Navy and he always would tell me it was like a quintessential phrase. The best cup of coffee tastes like the bottom of a dirty ashtray. And I was like, okay. So obviously following that, I I was like a dark roast drinker for most of my life up until like 2018. And I also was a big, in high school, I would like go to Tim Hortons like all the time in the morning and get like a hazelnut hot coffee with like cream in it and that was just like my comfort drink before school sometimes when did you start working in coffee I was 18 and I was in college and I got my first apartment and I needed a job so I applied at uh, the Starbucks down the street and started at nine bucks an hour 40 hours a week and just worked at Starbucks for like three and a half months it was great I mean I the job was wild and so overstimulating and me just like a little 18 year old who had really only worked at a movie theater before that was like whoa okay this is a real job yeah and then I think I went to work at a soup shop after that but I think it's interesting that you mentioned it's overstimulating because I imagine I think about myself as like an 18 year old. I also worked at a movie theater when I was 18. I was an usher, so I didn't have to talk to anybody like I didn't sell tickets. I didn't I didn't sell concessions. But even that I would like look at the menu and I'd be like, okay, there are like nine things on this menu. That's a lot of things. And then going to Starbucks where there's eight (laughs) thousand things on the menu and you can make any custom ridiculous drink you want I have to imagine at 18 that must have been such like a cognitive overload it was but I feel like it was good for me in a way because I feel like I learned bar flow real quick kind of out of necessity there was no real like training they just kind of threw you on the floor and were like sink or swim bud and I was like okay after that after Starbucks like everything else every other coffee job kind of seemed manageable fair fair you know fair I uh, my first but. coffee shop job was in Times Square in New York oh my god and I, n- nothing holds a candle to it in terms of like difficulty I'm like if I could work at this place yeah. like I can work anywhere like t- try yeah. me like give me give me 20 drinks to do I'll do it line line them up all the way down the counter I don't care yeah I got this <laughs> this is fine this is like this is like an yeah. easy Thursday at what point yeah. did you realize like oh this is a thing that I kind of like like maybe I can do this 
in a different job or maybe I could do this as like a career for a little bit. It was probably after after I graduated school, college, and I had worked at a couple shops like on and off through school. And then I started working like full time as a barista after I graduated in 2018. And I, yeah, in the shop I worked at, they were sending us to like SCA events. Uh, so I started witnessing the national coffee community. And I was like, oh, okay, this is actually like something people do for their whole lives. And I was like, this is kind of cool. And I, you know, got to, I started like tasting more. Like I started cupping for the first time and I was like, whoa, wait, okay. This is actually like a really cool thing that I can nerd out on. I was like, yeah. And then I think then I was hooked. So you mentioned cupping, you mentioned tasting. You are, which... I love that. It's fun that like you were thinking about like, how do I introduce myself? Because I'm going to do an intro where I introduce you, but I'll introduce yeah, you before we start this episode as the current United States cup tasters champion. So I was wondering for listeners who maybe don't know what that competition is. It's kind of like the wild west, I think, but can you describe what it's <laughs> yeah. like, what this competition is? It's the only U.S. comp and like I guess, global competition without judges. So it's pretty sudden death. Um, you know the results immediately, which is kind of terrifying, but also pretty exhilarating. At qualifiers and at nationals this year, there were six sets, but at Worlds, it will be eight sets. But six sets of what they call triangulations, which is pulled from a test. It's part of the Q grader certification. It's one of the many tests that you have to take to become a Q grader. So basically a triangulation is three bowls of coffee. One is different and two are the same. You have to pick out the different coffee in the shortest amount of time. And there are two factors that can help you succeed or fail you. Um, you have to be fast and you have to be accurate. I feel like you say that and I feel like people will listen to it and be like, oh, okay, so three coffees in front of me. One of these things is not like the other is essentially the game you're playing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people mm -hmm. will listen to this and be like, oh, that's easy. It is not fucking easy, <laughs> especially because yeah. you can really vary well, it. Like, like uh, maybe you can speak to this from your experiences, but like maybe you can tell the difference between like a Sumatran coffee and an Ethiopian coffee. Those have very different flavor profiles. Yeah. But as you get mm -hmm. more and more deeper into the competition, they're giving you like, this was roasted two days ago. This was roasted six days ago. Like the differences can be that subtle, right? Yeah. I've been talking to a few people who have competed at the world level and it it only gets uh, more wild there, but they do the difficulty does increase per round. The sets we were tasting in the round one were significantly uh, less not, I wouldn't, they're still challenging, right. but like less challenging than the ones we faced at finals. And yeah, I mean, they'll pull like coffees from the same country of origin sometime. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what they throw you at nationals, but I do know I've heard things about worlds where it'll be maybe the same region with the same processing method. They'll throw like natural coffees against each other, which those were kind of. I've been working on it, but those were my, what kind of stumped me at least one round in nationals was a natural coffee against another natural coffee because like the fermentation flavor kind of clouds a lot of what you would taste from the terroir. And so it's really interesting. It's also interesting contextually, like a set of naturals on a table of all washed will be considerably more difficult than a full table of naturals because you kind of calibrate to 
the similarities in the coffee. So yeah, there's a lot of factors that make it a really not not to mention you have to do it on a stage. Oh yeah, you're um, doing it in front, in front of, of people. a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If you go to these coffee competitions, we've talked a lot about coffee competitions on the podcast, so people listening are are likely familiar with them. We've mostly talked about barista competitions mm-hmm. where they have there's a person on a stage with a routine and they're talking and they're making coffee and there are these judges and it's all very quiet. Like you're essentially doing like a one person show for 15 minutes. When you go to the cup yeah. tasters competition, it is loud, people are cheering. It is <laughs> It is like a raucous affair. And then when you're, like you said, you find out the results kind of in real time. So you finish your set, you finish all your sets of, of cups. And then there's MC who's like pulling up the cups and like yeah. yelling really loudly, like you got it or oh no. <laughs> like, it's, like I said, it's like the wild west of coffee competitions just because it's like a, it's fun and it's raucous. But I have to imagine when you're on the other side of it, doing the actual competition, it's like, oh shit like there are a lot of people just like yelling at me and it's wild um what what made you want to compete you know i started tasting coffees and like cupping and i was like okay like maybe i do have a good palate like and the company i was working for at the time had sent me to judge sensory judge barista before and they were like do you want to compete in cup tasters? And I had a friend who had competed in brewers and barista before. And, and I was like, sure, why not? It was wild because we didn't know, like we didn't know, even know if we would get a spot at a qualifier, like let alone qualify to go to nationals. So that qualifier in 2020, I was like terrified. I competed and then I got four in like four out of six in like two minutes and 30 seconds and I like had no idea if I was going to move on and I was so terrified I just like stayed in the Airbnb the whole time I ended up placing 11th and like the top like 16 or 17 moved on and I was like psyched I was so happy that I had just moved on Mm -hmm. and like accomplished my goal of just like getting to nationals and then it was scheduled for Portland Oregon and then like obviously that didn't happen and then they kept rescheduling it and I was like I had left coffee and then you know obviously like came back and got the email that it was happening and then I was like I just knew instantly as soon as I got the email like I was standing in my kitchen and I just like yeah like you know when you say like yes and you like pull your you like clench your fist and you like pull it into yourself and you're like yes like you know like I I just like reacted I I knew that I had to finish it to compete it sounds like if this was a movie, like that moment, like the like Rocky theme would have started like right then. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Something that you yeah. said before we started recording was that you had to compete to close this chapter of your life. And I wrote that down because I was like, I'm going to ask Julian about <laughs> that, what that means. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. I played sports in high school. I I did a little bit of like ski racing. So I did like some individual sports, but it's strange when you're a competitor and you have like a team of people around you cheering you on that you like really don't want to disappoint, but you also know that you like can't put too much pressure on yourself or you'll like throw yourself off. And so I, there was a lot of pressure for me, I feel like be it internal or, or external to qualify and to compete. I put a lot of weight on that training on like going in off the clock, like, you know, doing sets at night, like we were setting up sets at night and like, it was just like a lot of mental weight 
in this like tasting competition and like i would tell people like oh yeah i'm competing in a tasting competition they're like whoa like that's wild and you know it was a lot of just like build up and then to have that really like taken away by covid and like i found my passion through tasting like i'm passionate about tasting coffee and i felt like that chance to prove myself on a national stage was taken away forever because I didn't know, you know, we no one knew what was going to happen. Like I went on unemployment for two months, like, and then I was being set up to like work in the QC lab and that kind of got taken away too. And I was just put like back to being a barista and I, it was just really troubling. And so to get that email in the fall that like Coffee Champs was happening at Expo, like it, I feel like I was like, this is my chance. I was like, this is my chance to finish it. Like, no matter what happens, just get up there and see that stage that I never thought I would. And I was talking to a lot of the other competitors that showed up and they all had the same, it was the same vibe. It was like, we didn't think this was going to happen. So why not do it? And, you know, not all of us showed up. It if everyone would have showed up, there would have been at least like 35 people, but there were like 21, 22 people in round one. So, you know, but just to go with the like movie theme, I feel like every movie has like, you know, a beginning and it's like really exciting. And then there's like a dip, like a low point, like that's where the tension comes. And I'm imagining that like Mm -hmm. COVID delaying the original competition date is like that dip and then of course there's like the moment it all changes and that's when you get the email and that's when the movie like picks back up again and then the ending i guess i don't know i guess not the ending i guess this movie is still happening uh because you're gonna go to the world competition and compete pretty soon yeah very soon even with worlds like i feel like this is like a beginning still like i like it was like a chapter closed and now i just get a new chapter you know what i mean so it's like we're watching star wars yeah, it's like a sequel, I guess. We'll, <laughs> we'll see if there's like a trilogy. Maybe like you, yeah. maybe you come back in like 20 years and then we, or I don't know, we go back in time and then you add movies in the beginning. I don't know. Um, yeah. Or something like that. Definitely. Um, so you talked about how you left coffee and then you came back to coffee. Why did you leave? I'd been a barista for like four years. I started as a barista as a cis cisgendered girl uh when i was 18 came out as non-binary started using they them pronouns after i left starbucks this was kind of this was like 2015 so this was like kind of before people really knew what like gender non-conforming people were like popular popular right, like by and large to, like- yeah by and large it was kind of the culture at uh the shop i worked at where there was a lot of a few trans people working there and it was kind of the culture was like if you're if someone misgendered your coworker and they didn't correct themselves like you if you were at the end of the bar like you would correct the customer so I had you know people telling me like they isn't a pronoun like you're not like what is that like you're not like basically saying that like how I identified like wasn't a thing and you know that was constant that was just like all the time I hadn't had top surgery yet so I was like binding my chest, like I bound my chest for like four years. I would just like, there was a period of time where I was like only wearing like button up black polos because it was like the only thing that I felt like 
okay and it was just like really hard being non-binary as a barista and then I came out as male in spring of 2019 started hormone replacement therapy and still hadn't had top surgery yet at that point you know like people like the conversation around transness in the U.S. was like definitely changing and people started to know what it was but that didn't really change much for me still had people gendering me as she even though I was wearing men's clothing binding my chest shaving my head it was really hard and you know every time every time you correct someone it's like and they're like they look at you weird or they like apologize too much or they like make you feel you know sometimes unintentionally just like weird about it you're like wow I hate this and it was just like every day like it was every single day I would go to work and it's because I was front facing public and my body was changing. I'd also been working there for like a year and a half. So people like knew me as this and then I was that. And then, you know, so it was just like a whole thing. And also like watching my friends, like I had one of my friends, close friends, you know, was like a trans girl, like, and just like watching her get like misgendered even more than me. It's just like almost going to cry. Um, it was like really hard. <laughs> And, you know, that coupled with like COVID, like I was just like, yeah, I'm done. And I, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, okay. So I am like damned to being a barista or I leave. And I just left. It's not worth it. It seems like we don't really build in the idea of like respect and dignity, especially in front facing positions like this. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it feels like you've touched on it in a multitude of ways that you were front facing and people would constantly like misgender you or misgender people around you. And it's an everyday thing. Like you see it, 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 it never stopped, it seemed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. but then there's also like the dignity of like just being able to go to work and like do your job. And it, yeah. it seems like a lot of that was taken away from you. Yeah. Like, that's why I think I, like, latched on to, like, roasting and production. I can just show up and do my job and go home. And, like, I don't, you know, I I see the same 10 people every day, and I know that those people aren't going to, like, disrespect me. But, you know, when you have, like, hundreds of people, and a lot of the times it was with regulars, even, who would just continually disrespect me and the people around me and then still be allowed to like come into the space but you know a lot of the times it's like tourists or like people from out of town and you know they don't even know you so they're just like banking on like what their first impression is so it's like you can't really unless they like act aggressive when you correct them you can't really blame them I guess but I'm a big believer it that there is like a place for everyone in coffee who wants to be here and uh, I think that being a barista was one of the most challenging jobs I've had for many, many reasons. But I think any kind of front facing job where you have to not only like defend yourself, but also coffee, I think it carries a lot of weight that many people don't give a second thought to, you know, they're like, oh, like barista, like you're a barista. It's like, well, actually, like, being a barista is sometimes like very hard and I feel like that's that's something that a lot of people don't really realize especially when you have to like be a person in a place where 
people feel entitled to consume you essentially mm-hmm. like yeah so, so much of barista work and so much of like why we love coffee shops in general as a culture is like when we go into a space and we feel a certain way and i think that kind of like muddles the idea of like me like being a consumer and going to a place and consuming the physical items there versus going to a place and consuming the identity of the people who have made that place and that's like a very scary line because there's moments where i'm sure like you've probably had like an awesome customer service interaction you're like yeah i did that like i made that fucking um -hmm. i don't know why i'm cursing so much (laughs) (laughs) i don't know but like but you know what i mean like there's like this really sense like like beautiful sense of pride and ownership in certain ways but then in other ways it's like i just want to do my job all i want is to do my job and like you are not letting me do that you are making me have to do like so much more because you feel entitled to myself and my person oh yeah yeah it totally like people the thing about customer service is you can't have an off day you can't shut it off you can't like tell your boss that you oh you want to go do something else for the day like you have to be on bar you have to be on register you have to be like expediting you know I have a lot of mental health issues I have borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder and I get triggered like very real like seriously triggered a lot of the times at things and it's I feel like that is also a conversation like the toll that emotional labor like takes on people's mental health is like I mean obviously known like I feel like I I've joked with my friends about like you know putting on the customer service persona but it's like you know, the difference between doing like a 3000 pound production day or like doing a $3,000 like retail day is like pretty massive. But, you know, in one where I'd be like physically exhausted and maybe another where I'd be like emotionally and physically. But it's it is something to talk about where every single person in this supply chain, every single person in this industry faces challenges in the position that they're in and that you know, no position should be, I think, looked down upon or like discounted because I mean, I'll bring up like what I just accomplished is like, I'm, I'm a production worker. Like I don't taste coffee every day. I go to work, I put beans in bags. Sometimes I get to roast coffee, but ultimately I am doing manual labor every day, 40 hours a week. And I just won a national tasting competition. So it's like, we have to I feel like open our eyes to that like everyone in this industry is like capable I think of more than they give themselves credit for and a lot of that comes from the discourse we have around each other's positionality within this industry yeah absolutely (laughs) no that totally makes sense I think there's this idea that like I don't know, even thinking about your career, just like what you said right now, like you mentioned being a barista and then moving into production. And that was, it seems like that was the right move for you. And I would think most people would read that as like a promotion or like you're working on your career, but like it shouldn't have to be that way. Like there's dignity in every position within the coffee industry. There's dignity in being a barista and being a service worker. There's dignity in bagging coffee. Like, like you mentioned, like there are people whose sole jobs is to do that is just a bad coffee and like they've never worked as a barista but like we still seem to like put almost like a stink upon like certain positions in the industry and expect there to be a certain like level of upward mobility in this very linear 
mm-hmm. very boxed in way. And I was wondering, I'm, I, I was wondering since you're thinking about it, like what, what has that felt like? Like thinking about like where I belong in the industry or like, what am I supposed to do next? Like, are these, are there these expectations of me to do a thing because now I've won a thing? Yeah, definitely. I've had a lot of people kind of talk to me about, you know, what to do next or like, what do, what do I want? You know, now that I have this, what do I want? It's interesting because, you know, I had a career before I won. Like I was learning how to roast coffee and I was doing my job. I think now I just get to have a lot more options in terms of like geographically, like where I could see myself or like who I get to have access to now. And, you know, I was happy before I won, which was not something I've ever felt in my life. You know, I very recently started to feel like I was content, you know, and we were talking a bit before we started recording about like the the timeline or like the celebrity of winning a coffee competition. And I definitely felt that pressure, I think, in the weeks after I won where I was like, oh, my whole my whole life has to change and it has to change now and I have to make moves now. But then I, you know, took a deep breath and I realized I was like, Julian, you're turning 26 at the end of June. Like you have been in coffee for under five years. Like you have time. And just because you achieved this title and are like working very hard to like do well at worlds. It's like, I still have time. And like, you know, even if I wasn't young and even if like I had been in coffee for 20 years and I won, like I'd still have time. And I found a national community and like a global community through these competitions. And I feel very grateful, but I think we need to kind of think about, you know, what does it mean to be an ambassador for the industry? What does it mean to be a champion? How, how does that, how does achieving that title actually affect like a person? Because I was just a person. I am just a person. I'm just a guy living in Portland, Maine, who loves coffee. And I just happened to win a national tasting competition. And there's this one person uh, who's been competing in cup tasters every single year it's existed. It's like, how am I to say that I am better than that person? That's literally been like working every year to try to achieve this title. Like I'm not. Everyone who got up on that stage is a champion in my, my eyes because the amount of like mental stamina it takes to even walk up there is something a lot of people can't do. Yeah, and there's something too to the idea that like if you didn't win, you would still be like just a guy. Like it, yeah, it would definitely. like I, I have a lot of like conflicting feelings just in general about the idea of competition. Maybe this is like putting me in like a an unsolvable problem because I I love competition. Like I live for competition. I love mm-hmm. watching I love game shows. Like I'm a I'm that yeah. type of person. Nice. <laughs> um so I love seeing people like win things and like, you know, seeing people win like a lot of money and like them talking about like that changing their life like always makes me mm-hmm. very emotional. But at the same time, when I look at like coffee competitions, I'm like, nobody worked more than anybody else, you know? Like mm-hmm. nobody yeah is better than anybody else up here like and 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 with all these competitions too like it could have been anybody like if the competition had happened tomorrow like 
Yeah. Would the same thing happen again? Like if the competition happened like an hour later, like would there have been a different winner? So it's interesting to think going back to this idea of like the dignity of work and like who deserves what, it's like we all deserve everything. Like we, mm-hmm. which, which seems like a little Pollyanna in a way, but like we do. Cause like we just deserve to like go to work and be happy and feel safe. I always think it's interesting. Like, Cause like, I feel like the people that really like cup tasters, like really like cup tasters and the people that really like roasters, like really like roasters and people that really like barista, like really like barista. One time, like someone told me they were like, oh yeah, someone told me that like, like barista competition is like the only one that matters. And it's like, I just think that's like so funny because every single one of those competitions is so challenging in its own way like I could never get up on that barista stage I could like I would I would never and I know that like you know maybe some barista competitors would never get up on the cup chaser stage and I just think that they're all like so interesting and like what every person every champion and every person that even qualifies or like gets to a qualifier or competes in a prelim like I always love to learn like I'm a big like nerd about anything that I can learn constantly. And that's why I love coffee so much is because I could spend my whole life in this industry and not know everything. And I think that competing is a great learning experience. And I think that people, I love watching people compete for years and years and then finally get the title or like watching people compete for years and years and don't get the title. And it's like, as long as you're like getting something out of it, I think it's a valuable experience. And I know a lot of people, you know, just want to win and that's great. And I'm like, I hope you do win if that's really what you want. But, you know, everyone who puts time into these competitions, the volunteers, like the committees, the judges, we all make this community what it is. And it's a very special and a very, very weird little community. (laughs) For folks listening to this, as we wrap up our conversation, what would you want them to take away from listening to you? What would you want people to know about you? I don't know. I'd like to just like let people know that I'm just a person and that probably and definitely like every every coffee champion is just a person we all have different career timelines and we all have different life timelines and you know if there's a champion or a person in this industry that you really identify with or you idolize or you really want to meet or talk to or be even be someday you know I think that's really cool but also I think you know one of my mentors you know, when I was preparing for this and I was like freaking out because, you know, a certain someone was like in my first heat and he was like a past champion. And he was like, you know, they're just people. Right. And I think that sentiment has really stuck with me is like we're all just we're all just coffee people. So, yeah. I was going to close it out. I was going to do like the whole like, thank you for for being here. But something I thought was worth mentioning before we close out was that you reached out to me to be on the show mm-hmm. and thinking about what you were just saying that like people are people. And like, if you admire somebody, that's really cool. I also, I also wonder like, how can we make things feel more like everything is accessible too? Because I was, I was thrilled when you reached out to me, <laughs> number one, cause I wanted to talk to you, but two, I was like, 
somebody feels comfortable saying, I want to talk to you. Like I want to be on your show. And we, we even talked a little bit as we were going back and forth about like the things that you thought that were open and accessible to you. And I hope that people listening to this feel like more is open and accessible to them. And I hope that they listen to your story and they feel empowered to say like, I want to do this thing and I'm going to ask the people that I want to ask about it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's helped me. And even with prepping for worlds, like I've, I reached out to like a past world champion. I've reached out to past U.S. champions. You know, it's like that's the thing with like competing. And I feel like just life and building a career in coffee in general is like you are not alone and it's almost impossible to do it alone. So like if there's someone you want to talk to, just like shoot them a DM or an email. And like if they don't respond there, maybe it may not be because they don't want to talk to you. But like a lot of people have a lot going on. But yeah, we're just people. And it's about community. That's like the biggest thing is just like we we are a, a community of coffee people. And it's easier saying that we should all feel like we have access to each other. And yeah, and especially if you want to compete, if you want to be part of this community, do it. Like just try it out. And if you don't do well your first year and you want to go again, do it. But I mean, just try Put yourself out there, I guess. Yeah. Julian, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ashley. This was really great. Thank you so much. That was Julian Langevin. Julian's going to be representing the United States at the World Cup Tasters competition this June. And there was so much in this episode that we couldn't fit, including how Julian tastes coffee what he's doing to prepare for the world competition and the diet that he's currently on to get his palate sharp. Yes, that's a sentence I said. Uh, you can hear all of that if you're a paying subscriber to the Boss Barista newsletter. You can look at paid options by going to bossbarista at substack.com, bossbarista.substack.com, excuse me. Um, that episode will be released next week. And for all of our regular listeners, We'll have a new episode for you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. 
So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode and tag us, that would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.